We're looking at what to wear. And uh, I'm going to read in a moment the passage. I'm going to read passage, uh, uh, well, not the whole of the chapter, about half of it. Verse 5 to 14 of Colossians chapter 3. In fact, I'll start reading it now, if that's okay. So those coming back in or finding your seats, just quietly do that if you don't mind. Thank you. So Colossians 3 and chapter 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Now these words, when they were first written, and there was a time when they were first written, They were penned by a real person, the Apostle Paul. Uh, It was written uh, as a letter in the first century, and it was sent to an ordinary group of Christians, forming what we would call, I think, a fairly ordinary church. It wasn't one of the big uh, sort of uh, Antiochs or Ephesus, and if you know your history, there's one or two that's obviously Jerusalem, Rome possibly. So it was in Colossae, a city, an ordinary city, and a a fairly straightforward uh, church setting. So I think it's got a lot to say to us. I know in many ways we're wonderful and extraordinary, but in other ways we're rather ordinary. We're only a bunch of people doing ordinary jobs, trying to be effective Christians in a reasonably nice and reasonable-sized church in an ordinary, well, it's a nice city, isn't it? But it's not huge here in England. So I think we've got quite a lot um, in keeping, in in harmony with the original... uh, uh, audience to which this was written. And so these words, inspired by the Holy Spirit, are written to people like us, and we're meant to take them seriously. The verse that I particularly was given, uh, which will be a focus, is verse 12. And verse 12 is a beautiful verse. There's many good verses here, but this is a lovely one. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. It's really lovely. The words are lovely. I love reading it. I do. It's, it's, it's good. It's got a good vibe. When you look at these verses, even with understanding of English, let alone Greek, you find that actually they're quite directive. I think the Greek ter- uh, uh, tense used in several places is called the present imperative. That means it's telling you to do something, and it's telling you straight and actually saying, you've got to do this, and you keep on doing it. 
So, for example, that's verse 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature in the list of things. The same is true in verse 8. Rid yourself of anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips, lying, etc. Our verse, verse 12. Clothe yourself. It's a present imperative. Do this. Clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness and love, we could add. And then in verse 14, a similar present imperative, put on love. Do that. Put on love. The imagery is pretty clear. It's of taking off a garment or maybe a set of dirty garments, dirty clothes, and putting on a new set. So it simply is take those off. And those are nice and clean, of course. And put those on. Now, I don't normally preach in a jacket, so this is going to come off again. But as you can see, even with a wire down my back, which I've got, it's a relatively easy process to put on and take off my clothes. I'm going no further than that. This is not strip tea. <laughs> We're not having a strip tease this morning. That would be gruesome for everybody. But it is a relatively straightforward thing. Just put them off, put those on, just like that. Really? Come on now. You can read the Bible and you can say, well, that's lovely words, nice idea. But how on earth do you really do that? How do you clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience? Or perhaps how do you rid yourself of anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language without even yet going to the first list? How do you just take them off and put them on. Is that real? Is that just a sentiment? Is that just mystical, wishful thinking? Are we meant to take this seriously? Is this an honestly serious prospect that you can say to ordinary Christians in an ordinary place, get rid of that, put them off, rid yourself of that, and put this on? And the list is quite impressive. Well, I'm going to tell you, yes, you can write to people like that. Yes, you can receive this word from the Holy Spirit. It is exciting and attainable, but it needs some understanding, and we need to look at it a bit more carefully. And so we need to start with a continued little analysis of the words. All the words are important. They're inspired by the Holy Spirit in the original language. Obviously, they're translated. But they are important because they get us a context and understanding. So here are some important little words. There's a word in verse 5, therefore. Now, as an old, he's long gone to heaven, an old writer, a speaker called Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, and he said, you always look at the therefores. You see what it is there for. Ha ha. It's very important to understand what the therefore is there for. I've always remembered that. I want you to remember it because it's an important way to understand the Bible. So when you look at verse 5, put to death therefore, why is the therefore? What's that about? Well, the therefore takes us back to the verses immediately before, particularly verse 3. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Extraordinary statement, which is then slightly uh, filled out. We're looking for the return of Christ in verse 4. But that, those verses, that, that idea is what he then leads on to in verse 5. Or looking at other small words, let's look at verse 8. The important words here are, but now. Verse 8, but now. And what that links us to is the verse before. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived. 
He's actually saying, you were just like this. You did all this stuff, but now. And he's got a but now, which is very important. And then there is another therefore, which you probably spotted in verse 12. Let's look at it. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, etc. Therefore, and that therefore is probably linked in one way to the verse before, ending with Christ is all as he, and is in all. It's a wonderful statement to the corporate church. Christ is all and is in all. But it's obviously linked also to what he actually says in what is for us, verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people and holy and dearly loved, he's saying, therefore, because of who you are in Christ, because of what the church is, because of what Christians are, therefore, you do this. You clothe yourself with these incredible qualities. It's very, very important indeed to understand that in the New Testament, ethical teaching about how we behave is always founded and rooted in the truth of the gospel. It is not law by another name. It's not a new way of fleshing out and really upping, ramping up the Ten Commandments. It is rooted in the truth of the gospel, in who Jesus was, what Jesus did, and what it means for us to be Christians and to follow Jesus and to come to know him. That's what the whole thing is rooted in. New Testament ethics are an outworking of what it is to know Jesus as your Saviour and Lord and to understand who you are in Christ and what you are in Christ. To have faith in him, to love him and to have a relationship with him out of which you live. And the Holy Spirit has come to make sure that all works. It's not about just our effort alone at all. It's about the Spirit of God moving in our hearts, empowering us and changing us, the Spirit of Christ in us when we are in Christ. And the Holy Spirit works on the inside to make this outside change. So clothes is a perfectly valid metaphor, and we'll look at it by the end. I hope we'll be a little clearer about with some excitement what what it tells us to do but but to be honest it is a metaphor it's a picture the actual inside change is what we're talking about the holy spirit changes on the inside and brings an outside outworking and this whole thing is about faith our faith in god and our faith in jesus and it's about our experience of god and our experience of his power in our life the powerful reality of what it is to be a follower of jesus enables you to take stuff off, to get rid of stuff that's been there all your life and to put on stuff that you would never naturally be able to do. It's the powerful reality we've already looked at, caught in verse 3. You've died, your life is now hidden with Christ in God. I mean, just let to sink in. That's what it is to be a Christian, that you've died your old life, your whole life is now hidden with Christ in God. Now, if you haven't experienced that, if you haven't put faith in Jesus, if you haven't died to your old life, if you haven't found the way, we can talk about it this morning. I'm not going to leave you ignorant of this, but if you haven't found the way to to connect with Jesus and have Christ in you and you be in Christ, then this is just an impossible dream. Oh, you can tinker about and improve a little bit, but you're not going to get rid of that lot and begin to put on that lot in an effective way. This is something where conduct is flowing from character and character is rooted in identity. So your identity 
of who you are in Christ. You need to know that. And then your character changes by the Holy Spirit's help, actually. And your conduct flows out from that. So all our fruitfulness that we're talking about is all rooted in the truth of who we are in Christ. Let's remind ourselves of verse 12 again. Verse 12 says this. You are God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. I mean, that is, that's amazing. That you could stop there and sit there and worship for the rest of the morning. I'm serious, you could. If you're in Christ, you have become, whatever your background, notice the verse before, there are people who are Jews and non-Jews. There are people who were outside of Rome and civilized behavior, barbarians they were called. There were people from slavery, slaves. There were freemen, free women. But whatever their background, whatever their class, whatever their status, in Christ they become one. But in Christ they become God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. And that's what you become if you become a Christian. You become one of God's chosen people You are made holy through him, and you are dearly loved. Sometimes we need to, we will be explaining the gospel as we go through, but sometimes as followers of Jesus, which is the majority probably in the room, we just need to revel in what the Bible says about us, don't we? That you're God's chosen people, you're holy, and you're dearly loved. You get that, therefore you begin to dress appropriately when you get who you are. And that's the whole thing. And let me just say, to remind us, and for any who aren't quite there yet, don't think, well, that's an arrogant thing to say, this is not our merit. This is a gift. And this gift is available for you. This is not about holier than thou. Do you remember my reference to verse 7? You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. Christians are not super disciplined good people who then say we are really the holy and loved ones holier than thou that's not how it is at all it's people who are exactly the same as everybody else who are just as beaten up just as failing and sin, sin, uh, sinful and, and letting God down letting themselves down but we found an answer in Jesus and the free gift of eternal life the free gift of a changed life and a new hope in Christ and through that We understand what he has made us to be, and that begins to change how we behave. It is really important that this is understood. Very important. It's important for all of us, or we will just get into a sort of legalism, even looking at glorious, glorious truths like this. And it's very important for us all, as Christians or not yet Christians, to understand in more detail how this Christianity works. Because it is very, very easy to think it's just another lot of moralism. It's just another lot of nice ideas. You've got to be like this. You should be like that. Be nice. Be loving. Be patient. And of course, there is that. I mean, in a way, it looks like that. It does say that, but it's not quite what it looks. It's not like just another way of moral exhortation and a call to moral effort. There is effort... But the effort is not that of following a rule book or law. There are two major areas. In a moment, we'll focus on them because that's where I want to stay for most of the rest of what I want to say, all of it, really. There are two major areas where there is some effort. One is you work at 
knowing the truth and believing it. You make some effort about that. You know who you are and you believe it. The other one, which we'll look at in a moment, will be the effort of relationship with Jesus. Relationship, not rules, will be the second point we look at. You don't work at obeying a new code of ethics so much as you work at a relationship, first and foremost, with your Heavenly Father and with Jesus, and relatedly to the church around you. And it's out of these things which you work on, and that that last one, we'll see briefly before we finish, is what's really touched on in verses 15 to 17. That, That works with knowing the truth, and you begin to change. You are no longer what you once were. It's wonderful. Let's take a bit of time to just look at it. I want to, first of all, talk about know the truth. I want to just spend five or ten minutes on that, and then the same on the second one. So we're going to finish about 22, and we're going to just finish singing and praising God for what he's done for us. I want you to come on this journey with me. Jesus said, know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, many of you have heard that, but I want you to keep hearing it. Know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Let's back up and look at what this literally says. If you look at the list of things we are to put off and rid ourselves of, they are not as exceptional in our culture and in our lives as we might like to think. It says, put to death sexual immorality, which is a general word, pornea, which means any form of sexual activity apart from a marriage between a man and woman. So it's a pretty broad word. Put impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, put them to death. And in verse 8, it says, rid yourself of these sort of things, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips, lying, we could add from the next verse. Now, actually, if you think honestly about it, this is not a lot of things that are pretty rare. We're not talking about mass murder. We're not talking about also... We're talking about things that are, I would say, extremely common. Let's have an honesty 10 minutes this morning. These things are common amongst all of us, as we naturally are. In some ways, they are a summary of 21st century Britain's culture. Honestly. And it's not hard... I'd love to have half an hour to unpack that, but if you don't understand what I'm saying. But just think about it. It's basically about sex and speech. Aspects of it. Think about pornography. Think about all the things that are in the, in the world today. Think about the loose morals at every area. Think about lust, greed. Think about anger, rage, malice, slander. What about social media? Think about all sorts of things. Filthy language from the lips. Come on, these things are very, very common and are actually quite often lauded almost and uh, boasted about. Now, we often can feel uneasy about them. I think even a lot of people around us, not just Christians, often feel uneasy with the way we talk or the way we act, rage, malice, slander, the, the lust, you know, our weaknesses in these areas. We do feel uneasy about it, but we tend to think, well, this is how life is. Hey, you know, it's what everybody, everybody looks at porn, you know, every, you know everybody does it. But that's not how life is meant to be. They're wrong, <laughs> They're damaging. They're damaging to individuals, all of them. I'm not just talking about all of them. They damage individuals, they damage relationships, and above all and most serious of all, they have damaged our relationship with God. They are, in the Bible's terms, sin. Now, the Bible isn't out of date. See, people think it is out of date. I'll tell you why it's not out of date, because it's got this list in it. 
Come on, you can read those verses that I've just read, verse 5 and verse 8, and not feel, oh, this is a thousand miles from anything I ever see. Don't be ridiculous. It could be an analysis of the very culture we live in, as it was in the first century, and as it has been in between. These are normal sins. They're normal behavior. Sadly, they're very, very common indeed. It's a very up-to-date list. The Bible is also realistic. I've already made that point. It's not looking for a load of people who are just pure and whiter than white. It's actually helping sinners to have their sins forgiven and to change. And so verse 7, as I've said, you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. You used to be like this. Don't think you were any better than anybody else. Some of us didn't do some of the grosser things in actions, but I doubt if any of us can tick many in those two verses that we haven't been guilty of. And I'm talking to the whole room. Christians, non-Christians. I'd say, come on, we're not going to do it. But if I said, hands up, if you've never, you know, had impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language, lied, you know, I mean, I don't know who's going to put their hand up, but we'll take you outside and just analyse your life then. But (laughs) we might find your hand goes down. You... I mean, this is sadly very common and very realistic. But there's another bit of realism touched on here in Know the Truth. It's verse 6. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You see, we dabble in these things. We think they're so common, they're virtually normal and excusable. But they are actually signs of a huge problem we all have, naturally speaking, between us and our Creator. A huge problem. And God is patient and God is loving and God is kind. But he's holy and just and righteous. And there is a payday for sin coming. And if we haven't dealt with the problem now, there will be a day when we stand face to face with our maker and have to give an account of our behavior and actions. If we haven't found an answer, there is an answer, Jesus. But if we haven't found it, and we're arrogant about it and don't think about it, we will not find that these things are irrelevant. They're not irrelevant for anybody across the world. There is uh, an accountability. There is a day when we will meet our maker. Now, I want to remind you too, linked into this, because as Christians, we need to be clear in our thinking. I believe the Bible teaches realistic, honest, truth about human beings, who we are and why we're here. And we live in a culture that is absolutely filled with quite often extremely nonsensical and I would say sometimes contradictory views about human beings, contradictory morals, contradictory, and I could give you thousands of examples where, you know, there are certain words you can't use because they're offensive, and they are offensive, but other words are really cool and fashionable, and you can, you can say that to anybody, and, you, you know, it's funny, and, it's, and you think, well, all filthy language is offensive, not just some, you know, and you can go on and on and on. Well, here's what the Bible says about human beings that I think is real. Two major truths that we all need to understand. One is, we are all creatures. We are created. We were made. There is a creator and we're made in his image. We are not a cosmic accident. We are not just a bureaucratic number in a vast computer in any of our nations. These dear little babies we gave thanks for are unique. They're fearfully and wonderfully made. We all are. We are individually known 
by God. He's big enough for that to be true. We are accountable to him. And one day we will stand before him. We are not our own. There is a creator and there is a purpose for which he made us. Second major truth, both of these could be obviously unpacked at greater length. Second major truth is we are all naturally sinners. We are fallen short of what we were made to be. Men and women were made as God's masterpiece, made in his image, made to be resplendent, made to reflect his character, made to reflect his holiness. But we haven't. We've gone our own way. We've basically done what Genesis, early chapters of Genesis clearly lay out. It's just right up to date. We've said we want to be God's. We'll make our own decisions about right and wrong. We don't know him and we're going to go our own way. And we've done that, chosen independence from God, and the results are pretty catastrophic. We've fallen away and something has got into the whole system, a virus, into the whole system of humanity. And each of us has got, it's like we're all these little computers linked up and the virus gets into all of them. And the virus is sin and it doesn't mean you can't do anything with a computer, but everything's a bit kanked and can suddenly go wrong and suddenly you lose your picture. You know, there's viruses everywhere and some have got it more worse than others, but the virus is everywhere, and it's called sin in the Bible. This is the Bible's definition of humanity. Now, you, I have got to give a few minutes to this, because I am speaking stuff that I believe is fundamentally true. I believe it is the best explanation of the human condition and dilemma, but it is obviously contrary to what we're all being told all the time, constantly, in our culture. I will use one example. There is a common assumption in our culture, a humanistic, secularist assumption, that people are basically good. They aren't. People aren't evil. It's not everything everybody does is evil. I'm not saying that at all. But there is not a fundamental goodness if only we treated them better, if only we educated them better, if only the circumstances would change, they would be perfect. No. We'll unpack it for a moment because it's so important. If people are basically good, why is sin and evil so universal amongst humanity? Why is it so easy to do the wrong thing and so difficult to do the right thing? It's, it's obvious, really. If people are basically good, why are these verses I have read this morning such a challenge? Why can't we just put off those things and put on compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience, forgive each other, love each other? And you know, why doesn't it happen? Why doesn't Imagine happen, that awful song by John Lennon? Why doesn't it just happen? As though, you know, he couldn't do it himself, poor man. Awful mess is life. You know, it's, the problem is deeper. Sorry, I know it's a nice song. I was brought up in the 60s, but I think people get very sentimental about it. You can you know, you... There is a fundamental problem in the system. If people are basically good, if it's just our environment, that begs another question. How did society become so corrupt in the first place? Who made such a horrible environment that all these pure, innocent people are universally corrupted? Why don't we find societies where people have no problem living like Jesus and living like this? Why is it so everywhere like this? If we're all basically good, if the real problem isn't us and how we behave, the real problem is just how we're treated and our environment. Well, who made the environment? People. And why aren't the current cultures we find that are just pure and innocent in this way, Christ-like? They often have different sins, but they're hardly pure and innocent. I don't think you do find the noble savage anywhere. There is a truth here that is fundamental 
that the root affects the fruit. And there's something wrong in the root of all of us as men and women. The Bible says we are at odds with God. There is a radical problem. We have rebelled and sinned and gone our own way. And sin's got into the system. And it's got in seriously. I said it's not that everything is bad. It's not everything. Everybody, people do glorious things. But it's all a bit different. You can have beautiful poetry, beautiful art, and the person's a paedophile. Or an absolute wretch with his wives and women. And, you know, or, or, or is a drunkard. And, you know, it's, not, it's just like, oh, it's always a mess. It's never clean. It's always, you, know, you, you can try one political system. And, and that compensates for one sin. And if you, you almost immediately pull back the other way. Right, you know, so there's greed here, then there's greed there. There's uh, power hungry here, there's power hungry there. There's lying here, there's lying there. And, and you think, what is wrong? Well, this is what's wrong. There's, this is why I believe the gospel is the only answer for our nation or any nation. Honestly, it's why I live for this. I, look, I don't mind doing a bit of help. I want to make life better in this country. But the fundamental problem is here. It's sin. Our minds are darkened. It's like a, um, it's like a, rot, a dry rot. You can have a beautiful house and you can see it's beautiful. You can see how it's made. You can see it still looks beautiful. There's lots of lovely things. But there's rot everywhere. And if we don't deal with it, the whole house will come down. That's the sort of thing we're talking about. Our minds are dark, our wills are alienated from God, conscience is desensitized, etc. And one very common answer is change the goalposts. So we'll say those things aren't sin. Greed, great. Greed is good. Envy, envy, lovely. Let's call perfumes envy. You know, oh, yeah, yeah. Slander, oh, we love to, yeah, we love to shout about people. Let's go on the media and slander each other. That's, that's good. I'm just asserting myself. I've got balls. I'm, I can say what I think. Fine, okay. Uh, you know, malice, rage, come on, the list goes on. Oh, pornography, no, it's fine. Make it legal, let anybody look at it. Let a six-year-old look at it. Then it's not a sin any longer. Huh? You must be mad. It all still creates the same problem. It all creates the problem, it keeps giving it. It doesn't solve the problem to change the goalposts. It doesn't satisfy what's inside. It doesn't make people better. It doesn't make society better. Not fundamentally. Is there an answer to this bleak story? Yes! <laughs> Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. All of us have got to understand. I say all of us, including us who've been Christians a long time. Understand we really did need to be saved. I remember when God got through to me on that. I'm not going to have time to explore it. As quite a young Christian, I've been a Christian probably eight, ten years, and, and, and I realised that I really did need saving because I got, became a Christian as a youngster in a Christian home. And really, I seemed to get steadily worse as I got older. So in those days, my only answer was to keep asking Jesus into my life because I didn't understand very much. So I probably got converted about 200 times. But, but actually, the problem was I didn't realize what the gospel was teaching. I needed to understand it and believe it. And that made a huge difference. The first book I read that helped me in that way was Watchman Nee's Normal Christian Life. What does it actually say? What is actually wrong with us? What is the actual solution? And it's what I'm talking about this morning. It's you know the truth, you understand it, and it begins. The Holy Spirit's got something to work on. It's almost like he says, I've got much ground to stand on here because this bloke doesn't know it. Once he knows it, I can work the Word and Spirit together. Oh, wow. Come, Holy Spirit, begin to change me. It's like Paul saying, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? Ah, you've understood. You needed saving. I didn't need just a little polish up with a wet cloth. Do you know these kids, we've we've got grandchildren, children. You know, they get a bit of a mess, don't they? Not a good rub with a damp cloth, a baby wipe. You, that is not a picture of your problem. 
Your problem was more like cancer or dry rot. It was not you needed a quick wipe, tidy you up and tell you to be a better boy or girl. That is not the gospel. You were without hope and without God. You needed saving. All of you. (laughs) In your flesh dwelt no good thing. Even when you wanted to do the best thing, you often fell short of your own standards, let alone God's standards. And so you needed to be saved. Hallelujah. And you can be saved and are saved, many of you, through Jesus Christ. And that salvation is what we're talking about. It's a cleansing. It's a restoring. It's getting rid of all the guilt, getting rid of all the sin. You have died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Ah, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. That's what it is to be a Christian. Let's quickly finish off by looking at the last little section. Relationship, not rules. Because how do we then live this out? How do we still, in the light of this, take what I'm saying seriously and put off the junky stuff and put on the clean, holy stuff? It won't work if it's only approached as a fresh set of laws. And Christians often fall back to that default position which is easy to do because it's the best way we understand things. It's the way our flesh gets it. Oh, I shouldn't do that and I should do that. All try and be a better boy. Yeah, well, that's not, that's not to be despised, but that isn't really going to solve it. Your, your effort is to go into relationship, not rules. So this is not about rules. It's about relationship. We're going to walk in faith. We're going to walk in the Spirit We're going to keep asking Jesus to help us and guide us. The action we take is a faith action. I haven't time to deeply unpick this, but I think you'll get it. Most of you will know it, but I want to remind you. I just want to remind you. It's a faith action where you see it, believe it, and begin to act on it. And wow, you begin to put those things off. I, I belong to Jesus. He died. His blood cleansed me from my rage and malice. And my lust. I, I, I confess my sin. He's faithful just to forgive it. I receive the Holy Spirit. I say, I want to walk in the Spirit, not fulfill the lust of the flesh, and I want to produce the fruit of the Spirit. I am going to consciously work at that, walking in the Spirit. That's where the effort is. That's the mechanics, if you like, of how you put off and put on. You work at the relationship. In the name of Jesus, I renounce my anger, my malice, my lust my slander. I mean, seriously, I'm not really exaggerating. You pray like that sometimes. You say, I renounce this. This is part of my old life. I used to walk in that. I don't now. I am a Christ one. And Christ ones don't slander. and They don't live in lust and malice. And I receive my new spirit. I receive the Holy Spirit. I'm going to be walking like Jesus walked. These are scriptures I'm actually quoting and weaving together. Walk like Jesus walked. I can and I will by the grace of God. You know, in the name of Jesus, I want to take to myself your spirit, Lord. I want to be like Jesus. I, I, I don't want to, I won't look like him, but I want to act like him. I want to show compassion. These are Jesus attributes, all of them. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, forgiveness, love. I want to walk in love. I want to walk in forgiveness. Help me. Teach me how to do that, Lord. Talk to him about it. Not just, oh, I've got to try and be kinder. Oh, how do I do that? Well, you talk to Jesus. How would you react, Jesus? 24-7, you live and walk and talk with him. That's why these verses, 15 to 17, are such a helpful place to sort of finish up. Um, 
because although they're not part of my talk today in that sense, they summarise where the action does take place. I let, or Steve spoke on peace, so I'm not going to speak on it. I allow the peace of God to rule in my heart. I, 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 I keep a clear conscience with God. I try and walk in peace with him. I let my disturbance of conscience be treated as very serious. Why am I feeling uneasy with this? Why do I feel miles from God? I need to work on this. I need to put this right. That's a relational thing. I will be thankful. You are thankful for all that God's done for you. You think, but for the grace of God, what a mess. Thank you for all you have done. That is how you live, thankful. You allow or let the word of God, the word of Christ, dwell in you richly. So you listen to the word, what I'm saying this morning. Read it yourself. You feed on it. You say, God, I want that. I I feed on your word. That's effort. That's the putting off, putting on. I live by your word. I want you to change me. You praise and worship and sing in the spirit. Wow. You think singing in the spirit. How does singing, truly worshiping and singing in the spirit will help you live better? It will. How does that stop me being malicious or lustful? You try it. You really get into worship. You really get worshiping the Lord and let it get outside of the church meeting. I mean, it's quite hard to watch porn and worship at the same time. I haven't actually tried it, but I think it probably is. I've battled in the past. I'm not saying I'm above, um, above thing on the sin, but I, I tell you, if you walk with Jesus and if you worship him, it gets a lot harder. It's only when you shove him out and don't work on the relationship that it all seems to come crowding back in. So you, you worship, you praise, uh, you receive instruction and wisdom from your fellow Christians. That's the context, is the body of Christ. We grow together in the body of Christ. I must stop. You, you do get help from one another. You've got to listen to it. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. It's a bit like what I've just said. Can you do what you do 24-7 in the name of Jesus? I mean, go to work. You can. You can do a good job at work in the name of Jesus. What's that mean? In his authority, in his presence, as a Jesus one, as a, a, one of his witnesses, I teach these kids. I, 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 I go to this office. I put in this heating system. Whatever you do, you know, I do it in the name of Jesus. I do it talking to him when I can't work out how to control the kids or how to put the pipes together. In my case, that's very frequent. So, you know, I said, God help me not to lose my temper. Help me not to get into rage and malice over this. And, you know, you've got to walk and talk with him. It's relationship. And it works. It really, really works. There aren't rules. It's relationship. Whatever I do, verse 12, we're finishing. Whatever I do, I need to do clothed with Jesus Christ. Compassion, kindness, gentleness. These are the clothes I wear 24-7. And it's rooted in my relationship. I am free to reject and rid myself of anger, malice, rage, slander, filthy language, lying. I am free to take to myself compassion, kindness, forgiveness, love, patience. Amen? Amen. Let's have the musicians up. We're going to finish with a song which they didn't know I wanted till this morning, so I hope you can play it. Can you play it? You're going to be okay with it? Oh, well done. Can they sing it? Do you think they not know it? Okay. They'll know it. Hey, we're having a little debate up here. Talk amongst yourselves now. They'll be fine. It's just stating who we are in Christ. It's one that says, I am chosen, I am free, um, something for eternity. 
Um, something else. A few. Nadi, 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 da. Um, hallelujah, I think. No, it's not a hallelujah, is it? <laughs> it's a good song, though. <laughs> right, they're going to do better than me. Let's stand together. Let's declare this truth. Hi, I forgot. If you're not able to sing this, you can this morning. Go and talk to someone at our Connect desk. Ask them about how do you become a Christian. Ask them about the Alpha Course. You can join in being a chosen one, being a holy, dearly loved child of God. It's not an exclusive club. Go and talk to someone at the Connect